But turn with me to two places, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Now, every year I've, I've taught a, if you need a Bible, raise your hand too. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. We see that hand. Um, every year I have taught a Christmas message the week before Christmas, but this year uh, I just felt like the Lord would have me do a series. And so t- uh, starting today and then all the way through, we have, uh, as you hopefully know by now, we have a Christmas Day service on Christmas Day. Uh, that'll be 11 a.m. So that'll be a shorter, uh, a shorter service, about a one-hour service. But from now until then, uh, we'll be going through this Christmas Revealed series. And you know these passages, so we, ha- we don't have to rush too much. I'll be able to kind of take our time this week, next week, and the week after, and even on Christmas Day uh, to look at these things. But I want to start with uh, Luke chapter 1 first. So hold your place in Matthew 1, because you have Joseph and you have Mary. We want to look at them first. And what happens to them kind of happens to Mary first, you know what I mean? So let's start with her. And uh, in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, we want to see what took place in the life of Mary. It says in verse 26, now in the sixth month, uh, that would be the sixth month of her relative Elizabeth, you know, she gave birth to John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is what it's referring to. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, verse 26, Luke chapter 1, was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Wouldn't you love God to say this to you? I mean, these are great words. To say both of those things to you, Do not be afraid, and you found favor with God. Who wouldn't want to hear this from God Almighty? And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. She'll call his name Jesus. Now, no one else has ever heard this but Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord will give him the throne of uh, David, his father. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how how can this be? I do not know a man. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you and therefore also that Holy One who has been born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Her betrothed husband also gets a visit from an angel. We see Gabriel has visited her. Now Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary... Uh, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, again, we see that they both complement, the both stories are the same, that Mary was conceived before they'd come together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He was minded to. We don't know where this exactly is in the timeline, but this is what he's thinking. I need to find a way to get her put away so she doesn't get stoned or some people don't uh, start asking questions, and that's what he's thinking. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, here it is again, do not be afraid. Take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray again. Lord, we love these words, and we know that, Lord, there's more truth and more power contained in them than I could ever teach. But Lord, we pray that you would use this time in your word to encourage us, to strengthen us, to bring us even closer to the feet of the one who came to die for our sins and has conquered death in the process. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have this young, betrothed Jewish couple. Now, in the Jewish realm and kind of the way that marriage worked, betrothal was a process. It was actually part of the marriage process. So we would kind of think of it as an absolute locked-in courting. You know, you're, you're fully committed when you're betrothed to someone. There's not, there's not a backing out of this. You are, this is the person that you are. It's more than engaged. It's actually part of the marriage process. But they're betrothed, but yet the marriage uh, consummation, they have not had the wedding night. That comes after the ceremony because the, the, uh, the groom can come at a time that the bride is not expecting. Does this sound familiar? And then the ceremony can begin, and then after the ceremony, then comes the wedding night and the consummation of the marriage. So it has these three different parts, the betrothal period, then you have the actual ceremony, then you have the wedding night, and that is the full consummation of the whole marriage. So they're in the process here, the betrothal process. You have this young Jewish couple. He's a carpenter, but pretty poor. I mean, he, he, makes, he just makes a kind of a paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck living as a carpenter. Uh, not, not much to speak of economically, very humble uh, living that they would have had there uh, in the Nazareth area. His wife is equally poor. I mean, they're just, they're just from the kind of poorer class uh, of Israel during that time. They were living in the Galilee area, which is up in the northern part uh, of Israel. But their lives are about to change, and so is the world. And if there is one recurring theme in the singular biblical Christmas story, when I say singular, uh, that's including its many different facets, it might be this. God does what virtually nobody expects in ways nobody expects, with people nobody expects, even though there was some level of expectation during that time. There was a certain level, a messianic level of expectation. It ran all the way through until Jesus went to the cross. There was people kind of thinking, when will a Messiah come? But in other words, despite the prophecies, in any level of understanding that scribes had, that scholars had, and that the followers of God at that time had, roughly 2,000 years ago, the Christmas story, i.e., bringing forth Christ into the world, is one where the unexpected becomes the norm. All throughout the story, it's things that you say, wow, that's how God did it? Nobody but God could script this story, how it unfolds, and nobody but God could reveal what we now see and understand today. Only God could do this. And over the next few weeks, I want us to appreciate some of the complexity uh, that God has orchestrated. Wouldn't you say God has done a lot of complex things when you read the Bible? Matter of fact, the first time you read the Bible, you think it's all complex. You're like, what in the world does any of this mean? And you start to realize. And actually, the more you understand it, you still understand it's even more complex. The more you understand, the more complex you understand that it is. But yet, you rest in it differently because you start to see that he really is in control of the micro, the macro, and everything in between. I want us to appreciate some of the complexity that God orchestrated, some of the glory and the majesty, some of the excitement and the joy, some of the miraculous, some of the humility and the simplicity. But also, what are the parallels for us today in our life? 
What are the parallels for us? What can we learn and apply in our own lives from that which took place in the lives of Joseph and Mary, some of the Bethlehem shepherds, which we'll look at next week, some of the magi that traveled from the east? What can we learn from Jesus, who came as a baby, but he came on a mission from God, didn't he? Today we'll look at the lives of Mary and Joseph, and of course, throughout this series, We'll keep coming back to Jesus and how all this applies to us personally today. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this part one, How is this possible? God's plan for Joseph and Mary. How is this possible? Certainly a question they were asking themselves. I don't normally address the message title, but I will today. If Christ saved you, He's already done for you what would be otherwise impossible. Think about that. When you look at the title of the message, if God saved you, he's already done what would be otherwise impossible. And if you now belong to Christ, everything has changed for you too, both now and for eternity. It's good to meditate on that sometimes, that we are, in fact, the Scripture says, new creations that we're supposed to be. You see, God came personally to Joseph and Mary, and he still comes personally for everyone that believes. And while our circumstances may be very different, the impact of the impossible work of God and the eternal is the same. The impact is still the same at the soul level and what he wants to do as far as really changing us. But let's briefly go back in time and understand the lives of Joseph and Mary, and what God revealed to them and to us in this work of redemption, because that's what it really is. This is the the work of redemption that God had promised in the Tanakh and the Old Testament, and what he's now bringing forth, finally, as Galatians tells us, in the fullness of time. The first thing I want us to look at, if if you're taking notes this morning, is four things in their life. The first is they were ordinary It's okay to be ordinary, folks. God likes ordinary. Who were were Joseph and Mary? In, In this single word, they were ordinary. They would have blended in with the other working people in their Jewish town. Up there in Nazareth, they would have blended in. If you walked through town and you saw different people going to the market, they would have looked like everybody else. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing noteworthy if you passed them on the street. They were ordinary, but the extraordinary was about to come into their life because Jesus is not ordinary. We all know that God has big plans in store, even today. Would you agree with that, that God still has big plans in store? Have you read the end of the Bible? It's big, really big stuff that God has still in store. I think he has really big stuff in store for us here and in this church and in your life, but we don't know what he's going to do. We don't know who he's going to choose. We don't know how he's going to do some of the things that still remain as part of his divine will and the end of history. We don't know exactly how and what and who God's going to use. But we do know that throughout the scriptures and throughout history, numerous times, God has chosen unlikely candidates for his redemptive plan. Wouldn't you agree? God chooses a lot of unlikely candidates. And and to the people of their day, a good number of those chosen by God throughout the biblical record would be ordinary or average everyday people. In other words, they weren't kings, at least not when God chose them. They weren't kings. They weren't public officials. They weren't wealthy. They weren't famous. They weren't influential. They didn't have... Two million Twitter followers. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have Twitter either, by the way, but other than that. Samuel comes to mind, right? Think about a guy like Samuel. Dedicated as a young boy by a formerly barren mother. He goes on to become the last of the great judges in Israel. Then, he's not only the last of the great judges, he's the first of the great prophets, of the major prophets. And he's the man that God chooses to anoint the first two kings of Israel. 
but you might not have thought that when little Hannah's bringing this boy to the temple. Gideon, he's seemingly chosen out of nowhere. God says, through an angel, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's like looking around. Who are you talking to? I'm petrified. He ultimately wins a massive battle, and God does all the work. He just kind of leads the guys out there. Peter in the New Testament, he goes from being a rough-around-the-edges fisherman. I mean, fishermen aren't your, uh, they're not your corporate CEO types, generally speaking. He goes from being a rough-around-the-edges fisherman to preaching on Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. Everyone hears the gospel in their own language. Peter's just you know, preaching. Everyone else hears it in their language. God does this amazing miracle. He goes on to become the primary leader of the early church. He writes two, bo- two books or two epistles or two letters of the New Testament. If you met Peter at some earlier point, you would have never considered him a candidate for any of that, would you? But God did. And these are just a few of the lies that God miraculously used. But none of us, whether we're average or ordinary or in our minds, Less than average. Maybe you think that of yourself. I'm even less than average. Actually, that's not so unhealthy because a lot of times people have too much esteem of themselves. But the scripture, we have no idea what God, according to the scripture, we have no idea what God has in store. 1 Corinthians 2 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, or have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. We have no idea far greater than what we could ever think. And by the way, part of saving faith, part of coming to Christ, saving faith is to humble ourselves. So it is good to kind of lower our esteem of ourselves. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. People that see themselves as great, that see themselves as special, that see themselves as significant, the Bible tells that God will resist them. Did you know that? So when you see people, they're proud and arrogant and pompous, uh, they will not be able to come to saving faith until they humble themselves. Pharaoh is a good example of that, right? Pharaoh would not humble himself, therefore he could not see salvation. Joseph, very humble man, was able to not only be uh, used by God, but then God used him in a great and mighty way and lift him up to a place that he would have never thought was possible. And this is what God does takes ordinary people, and whether you're in a dungeon like Joseph, God can take you overnight to places you never thought were possible, never dreamed of. Now, based on uh, biblical, biblical prophecy and what the Scripture foretold, the Messiah, he was going to have to, when you think about um, Joseph and Mary, they had to, uh, they might have appeared average or common, and that's true. They would have looked just like uh, the community around them. They wouldn't have looked like anything special. They didn't have any titles, no, uh, you know, no kind of power base or anything like that. But they were perfectly suited for the role because only a tiny percentage of people on earth could have been chosen for what God chose them for. You understand that? They would have looked normal, but yet they still were handpicked because they had to fit a checklist that was required. Based on biblical prophecy and what the scriptures had already said, the Messiah would have to come through the tribe of what? Judah. Had to come through the tribe of Judah. Couldn't come through any of the other tribes. Had to be the lion of the tribe of Judah would be one of Jesus' names. Had to come through uh, through the, uh, the Judean tribe. Both Joseph and Mary, both of them were of the tribe of Judah. The Messiah would have to be of the branch of Jesse, that's King David's father, and of the seed of King David himself and his throne. Well, both Joseph and Mary were direct descendants of King David, and thereby they were direct descendants of Jesse, David's father. This alone was probably very rare, just the fact that they were both the tribe of Judah and both direct descendants of David. Ironically, they were direct descendants of the most royal family in Israel's history. To be a direct descendant of King David would be a direct descendant of the most royal family in all of Israel's history. But they were not living even in their homeland of Judah. They were living up in Galilee. And they weren't living as royalty at all. They were poor. 
They were living a blue-collar life in Galilee, which even remember when Jesus came from Galilee, they said, can anything good come out of Galilee? That's what the Judeans thought. The Judeans were like, Galilee's a bunch of rednecks. That was their thought process. Nothing good comes out of there. This is the equivalent of someone in Richmond being a direct descendant of one of Richmond's leading families over off River Road, the River Road area. But earning a low-paying living right here in good old Chesterfield County off the glamorous road that I live off, Hall Street. <laughs> you know, you got Rodeo, Fifth Avenue, Hall Street, you know, they, all of the... Now, in addition to being from the tribe of Judah and the household of David, there were three other major requirements based on biblical prophecy. There's a few others. The newborn child had to come from Bethlehem. But remember, they're still in Galilee at this time. That has to be fixed. The baby has to be born of a virgin. This has never happened to anybody before, so that has to happen. And the Messiah would have to come up out of Egypt like Moses had before, because Moses was a foreshadow. So the Messiah would have to come up out of Egypt but they're not in Egypt either. So we've got a few problems, right? They're not in Bethlehem. There is no virgin birth at the time, and they can't come up out of Egypt because they're nowhere near Egypt. They're not even in Bethlehem. How are, they gonna, how, is, how are all of these things going to take place? And on top of all that, they have to fit the other requirements, which they did. So we saw what happened. The angel comes to them each, and we want to look at the next thing, their response. So we know that who they were, they fit, they fit the checklist, right? Tribe of Judah, household of David, but there's a few other things that still have to take place. And this is where God starts to open their eyes, where they start to see, I guess this is possible. It is possible he could take our little couple in Galilee and somehow pull off all the prophecies related to Jesus and God stitch it all together. How's he going to do it? Well, let's take a look. So, what takes place? First, Mary, you know, she's just minding her business, living life, trying to serve the Lord. And out of the blue, the angel Gabriel comes to her while her aunt, who pregnancy is rather remarkable as well. Elizabeth is of old age. Hers is a, a bit of a New Testament Sarah coming, you know, becoming pregnant. No one thought that was possible either. But that seems more plausible than a virgin birth, right? The Mary's told by the angel Gabriel comes and says, hey, you found faith, you know, don't be afraid. I know you've never seen an angel before. I haven't either. The televangelists see them all the time. I don't, but anyway, they, <laughs> I love to pick on the televangelists. They, they see some of the coolest stuff, so, you know. It's, it's, I digress. But anyway, um, so she's not seen an angel. She's afraid, but then the angel said, oh, by the way, you're going you're gonna to conceive, and and she understood, the, script, the scripture doesn't seem to say this, but she instantly understood that the angel meant immediately. You're going to conceive like fast, like before. You, that's when she says, because she seems to, you know when you're, when you're talking in the heavenly realm, you'll actually understand things that don't even have to be said. The Bible says even the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that can't even be uttered. That even in our prayer life, the Holy Spirit is doing that on our behalf. But so she understands immediately, you mean you're, you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant like, like now? And the angel's like, yes. And she asks a valid question. Well, how is that, how is that possible? And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And Joseph, he also has this interaction with an angel. He's really wondering what's going on, and the angel comes to him too. And so you can clearly see that God has come to both of them, that together they've been handpicked. Husbands and wives, God has put you in your life for something for us to apply. God has put us together for ministry. My wife and I are together for ministry. I have a call to be a pastor. She's at my side, but together we're to serve. And God was calling Joseph and Mary together. And those of you that are married, God wants you to be together serving him. You've been handpicked, whether you realize it or not. Handpicked for your kids, handpicked for your sphere of influence, handpicked to serve God 
right now today in 2016 and into 2017. But God had handpicked this, uh, this poor, soon-to-be-married couple, and everything the scriptures and the required match, all of that fit. But the big requirements, these big requirements of what had to take place, how were these things going to happen? Improbable would be an understatement. Understand, I've laid out who Mary and Joseph were and the revelation of God in their lives, but what comes next is in a rapid succession. It happens quickly, all of these things uh, that Mary finding out that she's going to conceive. And these things perplex them. That's why they're told, don't be afraid. You know, not only just the angel, but just afraid of what do we do when, when, when our community finds out she's pregnant and we're not married yet. This isn't, this isn't like 2016 where that ain't no big deal in America today, right? This was a big deal in ancient Israel. Right? So that would, that would matter. But Mary, when she's told uh, that she'll have a son and his name would be Jesus and that her son... She has no doubt that her son is not like any other son because she's told his name would be Jesus. The angel says that he would be called the son of the highest and he will be called the son of God. Now she knows at this point this isn't like any other child. These names are not the names that have been given to anybody else. These names are reserved for God's only begotten son. And she would conceive as she was told by the Holy Spirit well before the wedding night. The Son of God, sent by God the Father, conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity there? The Son of God, sent by God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Even in this moment, the Trinity, just like we see at the creation, let us make man in our image, we see the plurality of the Trinity even here as well. Now, even if Joseph and Mary, even if they are able to immediately accept that for some reason they've been chosen to give birth to the Messiah, neither seem to consider that God would employ a virgin birth. Like Even if they had heard that growing up, that seemed to go over their head. Because Mary said, how, how is this possible? Joseph is thinking about, well, Mary told me it was a virgin birth. Even though it was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, Chapter 7, verse 14, it didn't cross their minds that this is what God was actually going to do. Aren't we like this sometimes? Things God says, we, don't, we, we know it said, I could, Jesus says, behold, I could come at any moment. Well, I know he could do that, but I don't think it will ever happen in my lifetime. And yet these things can happen. Neither seem to consider that God would employ these things. Most of us would have thought, just as they probably thought, that even if this were the case, it couldn't possibly be them. It's weird. They're, they kind of accepted the, what the angel said, but at the same time don't quite understand it all. And their minds were spinning, which I'm sure ours would be as well. We know Joseph's is spinning because the angel comes to him when he's... You th he's not just thinking about things. He's probably laying on his bed looking straight up into the ceiling. You ever had those sleepless nights? where you just can't sleep because your mind is, is thinking about those things and they have questions. They're amazed too. I mean, just uh, Mary thinking back about what the angel said. The angel who comes to Mary after her initial fear and her questions, she does accept it. And she says, basically, the Lord's will be done. She accepts that. But when Mary breaks this news to Joseph that she's pregnant... Oh, by the way, Joseph, you're not going to believe what happened last night. <laughs> what happened? You're not, did I say you're not going to believe this? You know, you and I are just two people that are nondescript that no one on planet Earth knows, but guess what? An angel came to me last night, and I'm now pregnant. He's like, what, what, what does that mean? No, the, angel's not, the angel didn't do it. The Holy Spirit just came upon me. I mean, you, all kinds of questions could come out. Then he has to be thinking, is, is this really the truth? He wants to believe her. She's probably never been dishonest. I mean, uh, even God says you've found favor. It seems like she's a very honest, high-integrity follower of the Lord. So 
He's not had any reason to doubt her before. She's never been immoral. She's been chaste. This would be totally out of character. Perhaps Mary even reminded him, well, haven't you read Isaiah 7, 14? The virgin shall give birth. Yes, but that isn't going to be you. That's going to be someone down in Judah. Well, we are from the tribe of Judah. That's true. Well, it has to be someone from the household of David. We are. All right, well, that's true. Now, Mary could actually do a little Bible lesson for Joseph here. <laughs> do you not know your Bible? Why couldn't it be me? Was it, I mean, was Abraham anyone special when God came to him in Ur? No, right? And his name was Abram. And so she may have actually, I don't know, she may have actually tried to give Joseph a Bible lesson to calm his fears. But he still wants to believe her, but he's not quite sure because the angel has to reassure him, right? So he goes home and he's thinking about all these things. What do I do? This is what men do. We start to come up with a plan. I know what she said, but this has to be fixed. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to fix it. The angel comes to Joseph and by the way, Joseph's plan seems to be compassionate. It does seem to be a compassionate plan. He wants to guard her from being stained or, or, or hurt or actually banished or disowned by her own family. All of these things were possible. He seems to have a compassionate plan, but he doesn't know how to pull the plan together because he still is at a loss for what's taking place. And the angel comes to him and reassures Joseph, hey, this sudden, this sudden pregnancy, it's exactly as Mary told you. That always helps when you get your own angel visit too, right? She's had an angel visit. You didn't have an angel visit. Now you get an angel visit. That usually helps kind of close the uh, gap there in who's telling the truth. And so he does. He, he believes what the angel says. Now Matthew, who writes uh, the first gospel here, Matthew was a tax collector. Luke was a doctor. And these two educated men, they didn't write what they thought, they only wrote what the Holy Spirit gave them, but they both write with impeccable detail. God chose them specifically to write these two books of the gospel. And Matthew and Luke, both of them, both of them expressly state that Jesus was born of a virgin. Both of them make this 100% clear. Now, of course, the angel, they're recording what the angel said, the angel, angels make this clear as well. But this is exactly what the scriptures foretold. Because, as I've mentioned a couple times, Isaiah chapter 7, 14 is what's quoted. If you look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, some of your Bibles, it'll be in italics, verse 23, where it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's from the, book, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied this would take place. And when you think of Christmas, when you think of Christmas through the eyes of a child. Think back to uh, when you were a child at Christmas. There was always an expectation, right? An excitement that you had. And for most people, and I, and I do realize that there's people that, that maybe from very, very poor, really violent or different situations that wouldn't apply. But for most people, they had some good, fond memories at times of this excitement and looking forward to Christmas and the arrival of Christmas Day. And sometimes, uh, when we look back when we were kids, we were wildly surprised. Sometimes we were disappointed. <laughs> Mom and Dad thought I liked this, right? Gee, thanks. This is great. I really, this is the greatest gift ever. You know that kind of thing. But Joseph and Mary, like many of the Jewish people of their day, they were looking forward. They were looking expectantly for God to send the Messiah. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for the Messiah to come, one who would take the throne of David, one who would reestablish righteousness and peace and bring the glory of God back to Israel. But just imagine when it sunk in to Joseph and Mary that they and what all of Israel was hoping for was coming from God to their very home. That's why it was so hard. They, they couldn't believe that they, they were ordinary, two ordinary people, that God had sent this to them. There has to be a mistake. has to be somebody else. There has to be someone more qualified. By the way, Moses thought that when God came to him too. Well, who am I to go back to Pharaoh, right? They were amazed by it. 
They were perplexed by it. Talk about exceeding the expectations, though. No wonder, the Bible says in the, in the book of Luke as well, that Mary, Mar she pondered all of these things. Pondered them. Thought about them. What do they all mean? She even uh, has a prayer that's recorded that's kind of a prayer of praise that's amazing. Because she was just um, blown away by what God had done. And Joseph and Mary, yes, they were ordinary. And yes, they were perplexed, and they were amazed at what God was doing. But they also had a great need, which is what the, I want to look at next. They had a great need that maybe most people, if they don't know the Lord, aren't considering when they look at the Christmas story, when they look at what God did in this redemptive plan. You see, God sent Jesus to the world by the way of Mary and through the family of Joseph, but they needed Jesus just as much as the rest of the world. They also needed the very Savior that was going to come through Mary's very body and through their home. They needed Jesus too. When John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, they were part of the world too. They were just as much part of the world. And I know that uh, there are religions that actually have exalted Mary to some uh, place of worship. This is not biblical. We don't see anywhere in Scripture anyone ever worshiping Mary, not one single time. She's never worshiped. Matter of fact, the one time that we see Mary probably get the most adamant, she says, whatever Jesus says, do it. At the, at the uh, wedding in Cana, uh, when the water's turned into wine, she, she clearly knows who's in charge. It's Jesus the Son of God. See, they were part of the world, and they'd be part of the birth, but they would need to be part of the redemption that God was sending as well. Isaiah 9, 6, you know this passage, it's quoted around Christmas a lot, for unto us a child is born. By the way, this is one, that verse, that prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6, is one of the reasons that we know that God had to send not only Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin would be a child, but Isaiah 9, 6, that a child would be born, that God would have to come in human flesh. That starts off the verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder. That's still to come. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. This is how we know Jesus is equal to God. In fact, he is God, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A son had to be born in the world. He had to be from the Father. He had to be equal to the Father and able to bring peace between mankind and a holy God. And there are four names associated with the birth of Jesus in the, in, in the record of Matthew and the record of Luke. Four names associated with the birth, if you look at the Christmas story uh, that's read there in, in chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew chapters 1 through 3 of Luke. Uh, we'll look at the name of Jesus last, but the first is the name Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way. Um, they're both names of Jesus. Christ comes from the Greek Christos. It's a rendering. Christos is a rendering of the Hebrew word Messiah. Christos is the Hebrew, uh, is the, I'm sorry, the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. It was reserved for kings and for prophets and for priests. Christ was the anointed one to come down from God, uh, the one anointed to fulfill the prophecies, the types, and all the shadows in the scriptures, all the foreshadows, if you like, you know, Moses or Joseph, you know, when Isaac is laid down uh, on the altar uh, by his own father, all those types and foreshadows, Jesus fulfills all of them. He's anointed for that. The second name that we see, and it's mentioned there in, in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel says, quotes from Isaiah, his name will be what? Emmanuel. Means God with us. Jesus was literally, literally the presence of God in human flesh. He was not 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man and 100% God. Now I know that's, our minds can't wrap around that concept, that he's not 50-50, he's 100-100. Theologically, the term is theanthropos, God-man, God-man. The God-man would walk the earth. Even though Jesus remained fully God, 
to enter it as a man boggles our mind. Think about this. Listen to what J.I. Packer writes. He says, God became a man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught and to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. Now, if you wonder, well, how could he still be God and be submitted to such human restraints as lying in a, you know, someone needing to feed him? How could he still retain 100% Godhood? And if you're thinking that thought, you wouldn't be the first person to think it. How is this possible that he could have these restraints and still be 100% God? I'll give you the answer. He didn't sin. Think about it. The rest of us started sinning as soon as we were able to walk, right? Jesus, even as a child, never had a complaint, never had a bad attitude. Parents are like, wow, this would be great, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> never was unthankful, never gave you the cold shoulder, never just said in your mind, I don't have to listen to what that lady's saying, right? Or I'm not going to cut the grass, or I'll wait till, till I'm good and ready to do it. Jesus never had any of those moments as a child, never sinned. And this is the proof that he could remain fully God because only God doesn't sin. The rest of us do. Now, there, I'm sure there's other things that would prove this point, but this gives you at least one way to understand that Jesus retained full godhood while he was fully man. Now, Luke, the angels um, refer to Jesus as another name, Savior. We see that name also, not, not in the passage that we read, but Luke writes uh, when he comes to the shepherds, he's called Savior, which means what? Deliverer or preserver? Boy, doesn't Jesus do both? He delivers and preserves. He preserves us from and unto, but he also delivers us from the wrath of God and from uh, our own sins. And then lastly, the name that most of us refer to our Savior by as Jesus. The angel tells both Joseph and Mary to name the baby Jesus. And Jesus is the English rendering, now follow this, Jesus is the English rendering of the Greek rendering of the Aramaic, Aramaic name Yeshua. Okay, So Jesus is the English word, which is the rendering of the Greek word, which is the rendering of the Aramaic word Yeshua, which is the rendering of the Hebrew word, Yahshua. Follow that? Jesus, Iosus, I'm going to say it right in Greek, but then Yeshua, Yahshua. In the Old Testament, so the name Jesus is synonymous or basically the same as Joshua, who took over from Moses after Moses went to be with the Lord. And the name uh, Joshua or Yahshua literally means God is salvation. That's what it means. Now, by the way, Joshua's name was not originally Joshua. Moses changed it to Joshua. So it, Moses changed his name. Of course, God had him do that. So it would be God is salvation. Now, Jesus, the name Jesus means the same. God is salvation. But Joshua did do a lot of delivering for the children of Israel and did bring them to the homeland and did bring them into the promised land. But he's just a foreshadow. Jesus is the real God brings salvation. Amen? Amen? He brings salvation. And it's taken from that meaning. It essentially means the God of salvation will save. And you say, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the God of salvation will save. This is why the name Jesus can also mean Savior. They're synonymous too. So you can say Jesus or you can say Savior they also can mean the same. Do you think by the very name of Jesus and the pains that the angel, both cases, made reference to be very specific to name his name Jesus, they reference the name Emmanuel, they reference the name Christ, do you think that the angels who don't make mistakes, they're, they're messengers unlike us that don't miss a single thing God tells them to do, don't you think that God was sending a very clear message to what the world really needs? just by the name. 
One last perspective before we come to a close here for Joseph and Mary. They did have a great, uh, they did have a great need. They needed to believe on their very own son to be their savior. And I believe when you get to heaven, Joseph and Mary will be there. How do we know? Well, we don't, Joseph, we don't know when he uh, finally passes. We know he's gone to be with the Lord by the time of the crucifixion. But Mary, his mother, she's right there with the saints and the apostles. We know that she, ha- she puts her same faith in her son that the rest of us have had to do. But once they accepted and believed that God was sending his son through them, once they accepted these things, their life of faith was not over. Would you agree? We haven't even touched the other stuff. We'll get that in the next couple of weeks. They had to believe the words of God, and they did. But they were human just like us. And even once you believe God, doubts can come back in, right? Even once you believe God, and you've really taken great steps of faith, you can shrink back and not want to take another step of faith. And they had other things they had to do, even after they accepted the conditions that God had given them. Oh, by the way, you're going to carry my son. You're conceived of the Holy Spirit. They accepted these things, that indeed this was a great gift, but it was also a great responsibility. Can you imagine the weight of it? And those doubts, those fears could come back for sure. They might be thinking, uh, why us and why now? And how, how is God even going to do this? And we know that God is going to do it. All of a sudden, this guy named Caesar Augustus is going to say, go back to your hometown. Oh, so that's how we end up in Bethlehem. It wasn't a vacation. It wasn't a family reunion. Caesar Augustus, you got to go back to the town of your birth. So that's going to happen. But how are we going to get to Egypt? They, wouldn't, they would have been afraid to live the future if they'd known how they were going to get to Egypt, right? Aren't you glad God doesn't always show you the future? So their steps of faith would have to be one step, then another step, then another step, then another step. Brother and sister, 2016 is almost over. We have less than a month left. You're going to have to continue to follow God step by step in 2017. You won't know what's coming, right? You won't know what's around the corner. But we have to live by faith. When they get there, when they get to the next steps, when they get to Bethlehem, when they get to Egypt, They'll find that there's no place they can go unless God provides it. There's no way they can get there unless God provides it. How in the world will they end up in Egypt? How are they going to have the finances for it? Well, look at God's going to send these wise men, right? They're going to bring some stuff. It's going to be very helpful in the future. So God has provision, brother and sister, for you down the road that you don't know where it would come from. And you have to believe by faith that each step God will take through the dark times, through the difficult times, through the times when you're not quite certain how in the world God's going to do it, he can do things that we never thought of. You say, well, there's either this way to do it or there's this way to do it. And God says, that's two of the million ways I can do it, right? They have to have faith to just say, all right, we don't know how this is going to go, but God put the baby in her and we're going to move forward. Whenever God says go, we need to go. Joseph does that. It says, and it says, Joseph being aroused from his sleep as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took, him, t- took her to him as wife. He didn't, he didn't doubt it anymore. He said, all right, I'm going to marry you. I don't care what people say about it. I don't care what they think about it. You haven't sinned. I haven't sinned. That's their problem if they think we've sinned. Sometimes you have to live that way, folks. You have to sometimes say, that's somebody else's problem. If they want to think that, that's their problem. They still love them, but again, you can't worry. You have to say, this is what God has done, and we have to move forward. And he did exactly what he said. He didn't touch her in any way until, said he did not know her until she brought born her firstborn son. He obeyed that, and he called his name Jesus. He was told, here's what you got to name him. He does that. The way we move forward in faith is to simply do what God's asked us to do. Does that make sense? You will breathe a lot easier. And so will I when we just do what God says. Because when you're nervous and you're stressed out and you don't know what God's going to say, God says, read your Bible and pray. I don't really want to do that. There's a really good show on TV. Just do it anyway. And those are the little baby steps that God says, now you can take another step and another step and another step. Just do what I've asked you to do. Do the things I've asked you to do 
and the rest of it I'll take care of. As a matter of fact, what God takes care of the rest is the really big stuff. All he asks us to do is the simple thing. Open my word, pray, tell people about me, get to church, worship with your brothers and sisters. Is there anything else I need to do? Nope, just try and love people. I'll handle the big stuff. Isn't that great to know? And that's what Joseph and Mary did. They just basically said, all right, Lord, we don't know how you're going to pull all this off, but we're going to just move forward anyway. Brothers and sisters, our initial faith brings salvation, but it's the only, begin- it's only the beginning of our steps of believing in faith. We've got to keep believing, keep taking those steps as God brings them along. And as I come to a close here, when I think of Mary and Joseph, and I think of their faith, I think this poem I want to read to you, this very short, sums up their faith and journey. And I think we can all apply this in our own life. Listen to these words. It says, doubt sees the obstacles, Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Fear soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers, I. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you. Some of the things that you've done as it relates to bringing your son in the world we can't even comprehend. We can't comprehend why you did it this way, why Nazareth, why Mary and Joseph. But Lord, the things that we don't understand, we're grateful that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts, that you're higher than us. As you told us through your son Jesus, as we pray, hallowed be your name. Your name is great. Your ways are great. Only you could... Draft the redemptive plan, only you could deliver it, only you could complete it. And Lord, we just pray that as we see these things, and maybe in a new light, maybe just a reminder of things that we know, Lord, that they soften us and bring us back to a place of the simplicity of our saving faith, but Lord, to grow in our steps of faith. That Lord, we too have things that cause us fear, anxiety, or stress, and Lord, we pray that you would teach us as you taught Mary and Joseph, to know that you're trustworthy, that you really do hold the whole world in your hand, and you hold our problem in your hand. You hold the future in your your hands. And Lord, we can trust you for today and for tomorrow and for the following year and beyond. Lord, we ask this morning that we would just grow in your grace. We thank you for this time in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.